When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. The podcast that's a day late because it was my birthday on Monday and I never work on my birthday. This week on Heart and Hand, congratulations to all the Rangers players because it was obviously all their birthdays at the beginning of the second half against Hamilton. Welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. My name is David Edgar and I'm joined this week by two guests to go through yet another big week uh, for RFC for, for probably the wrong reasons. Uh, first up, returning guest, Mr Ian Hogg. Good evening, David. Good evening, everyone. How's it feel and being I, I, back the I, other I, side of the mic after your, your uh, go at being host last week? It's a far comfier place <laughs> and, uh, and I genuinely hope everyone out there in pod listening land is... Uh, Looking forward to a pod full of light-hearted knob jokes and bants about Saturday. Yeah, yeah, invective might be the word. Uh, here to balance it up with a, a usually a more sensible uh, opinion on things, uh, but even he, even his t- uh, patience has been tested this week. It's Andy McGowan. How you doing, mate? How you doing, David? Uh, I feel old. Absolutely no knob jag, no knob jokes. <laughs> this well, uh, the, the, there was an easy one there where you knob jag, and I could have went and it well the players, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to be my, uh, too much of a gentleman to do it. But yeah, let's get right into it because I think there's an awful lot for us to chew over this week. So first of all, Rangers versus Hamilton Academic on Saturday. Rangers, you may be aware, had uh, hadn't lost to Hamilton in our lifetimes, and uh, in fact, not far off our combined lifetimes, 90 years. We hadn't lost to Hamilton at Ibrox in the league, um, of course, being the famous 8-7 game, which I was also at, so I'm clearly Hamilton's good luck charm. But uh, Rangers, I thought, played very well, very well for half an hour, uh, missed a hat full of chances, began to slow down and panic a little bit in the last 15 minutes. At the start of the second half, made a stupid mistake and then slight panic gave way to full-blown, oh shit, we're fucked. And... It was painful and somewhat embarrassing to watch. And, of course, Hamilton got their second. 
the game was over and a very, very, very unhappy Ibrox. So, Andy, first up, your take on Saturday. Yeah, I think it's one of those games where if you had a, had a better season today, you might have just put it down to one of those days, but it's certainly not the case. I think uh, you're exactly right. First half, we should have been out of sight uh, with many chances and some really good play. And I think if we had taken one of those, then I think the rest of the game would have been a formality. But for not the first time this season, we didn't take our chances and we gave ourselves a, a hard job to do when it really shouldn't have been the case. Um, there's a lot to talk about here because uh, I think you can allude to the fact that I'm a fairly generous supporter, uh, but really, I think the gloves are off as far as I'm concerned this week. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean that, that that's unfortunately the the position we we find ourselves in. That it's even as supporters like you or myself, we're more inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt. That there comes a point where it's like, lads, I can't keep doing this, you know. And not beating Hamilton at home, I'm afraid, with with no disrespect to Hamilton, but well, I with, with all the respect to Hamilton that is due after them not winning at Ibrox for that length of time. Uh, we should be beating them at home, Ian, and and it's a, an awful, terrible result. We can't hide that. I, and I think you know, David, you talked there about the first half hour. You're you're right until the penalty box. We were great. We dominated the play. We passed the ball. We moved it, and we moved it quickly. And it was all at pace. It was all quite fluid. And we missed chance after chance after chance. The the the, the bit that really stuck for me was. We missed all those chances, and the keeper had almost nothing to do. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, and and you know, Morelos for for all I'm really really impressed by him. He's and he is just a kid. Had a shocking half hour. I mean, the, the, there's there's two that are right on his head. Hit the target, he scores. One, he almost fucking hit it into the ground and hit off his chin just about mm. uh, and the other one you know he hits the bar and he's a bit unfortunate but you could visibly see after that first half hour Ibrook started to grumble and the players just went within themselves and from that Hamilton you know and, and yeah Hamilton are a wee side they came to do what Motherwell did to us at Hamden they came to bully us and by fuck after half an hour, their players just bullied us off the park. I don't know if I agree with that. I think they came expecting to get beat, hoping to avoid a hiding, and would have been quite happy to go away with a two or three goal loss. I think they couldn't believe the luck. And I think that the first half hour indicates that, the way that they played. Uh, I think that they they weren't particularly ambitious, and rightfully so, we pushed them back. But no, I, I don't think they did that. I think that they... They just completely couldn't believe the luck at how easy Rangers made it for them in the second half. Once they had taken the lead and, of course, got that that little boost that all teams get when they take an unexpected lead away from home. Um, two names, obviously, Morelos is one. Um, but the, the two names I want to talk about are, are him and Josh Windass because I thought in the first half Josh Windass was by far Rangers' best player. Believe it or not, and it's a, a guy who's taken a lot of uh, a lot of flack, but I thought he tore him apart on his wing and uh, some terrific crosses. And as you say, one in particular where he he has given Morelos an open goal. All he has to do is head the ball um, down and out of the net, but he, he somehow managed to head it down and onto his feet and over the bar. Um, but 
we've seen this a lot. Uh, we've coined the term on here, Andy, the, the term Windassian for these brief moments. You know, you can say oh, that, that that was when that like a band who produces one good album and then a series of crap after it. It's like uh, that they, they're Windassian because another bout of oh he's he can play. You know, come on, son, and then followed by a complete and utter failure to look like a footballer in the second half. Of which he wasn't alone, but this is something that happens regularly with him. I think Windass and the fact that he's more or less a first pick just now in our first 11 kind of epitomises where we are because I think we all know that he's got ability somewhere. Everybody keeps on telling us he's the best player on training and so forth, but... um, it's not enough. It's just not enough because what harms you with is he's in a, a, a forward position. He's a left winger playing for Rangers. We're looking to do things this season. And it doesn't hurt teams enough. It very rarely hurts teams, in fact. He gets into good positions. And we've seen a couple of good crosses at the weekend. And we're actually saying, well, that was a surprise because he mm. actually had a final product. He's not doing enough for me. And uh, over the piece now, he's been here for 18 months. I know he's had a wee bit of injury time as well. But over the 18 months, can you really say hand on heart that uh, there's been much from him at all? I don't think he can. I think it would be helped if he was in a better team. But what player wouldn't he? Mm, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of responsibility on you if you are a winger or a wide man playing for Rangers, playing at home with expectation. Not every player can handle it. It was. It did. You're right, David. He did well in the first half, but it's not enough, unfortunately. No. Um, when you compare him to Barry Mackay last year, he couldn't lace Barry Mackay's boots. And look at how uh, he came in for criticism from time to time because at least Barry hurt teams from time to time, or, or more often than not. Windass, I, I, I'm not seeing it at all, uh, and I don't think he's going to have a career at the Rangers. To be brutally frank. Ian, does stuff like that help, you know, when the, the rest of the team come out and say, oh, he's the best player on training, and then, you know, you see clips from training of these amazing finishes and stuff. Does that help or hinder him? Because, you know, you see all this, and then you see what you get on match days, and I think it almost raises raises my ire, as, a, as opposed to makes me think, uh, oh, well, you know, we just need to keep going with them. I, I don't know if it helps or it hurts them. So I've said before the pod, David, that, that I, I, you know, having having watched and listened his interviews, I think he's he's clearly uh, inherited his dad's brain power. Um, however, what he hasn't inherited is his dad's bravery, ability to stand up in the football park and just you know give as good as he gets. He, he you know, I, I can't help but feel you get all this. He's the best player in training. He's scoring some lovely goals. The going gets tough. He hides. We've yeah, seen it time does. and time again. And of course, you know, and I'm sure we'll touch on the pod later. But it, it becomes a kind of self uh, self fulfilling prophecy, uh, prophecy that you know that happens. Then the crowd gets on his back. Then he disappears up his own arse. Then the crowd gets on his back further. You know, and down we go down the spiral. It's 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 genuinely not helping anyone, and there's almost an inevitability about the outcome. Well, 
I was, you know, we, it's hard to talk much more about Morelos because I think everyone listening to this would agree with us, and I think the three of us would be in agreement. He's a good player who's going through a really terrible run of form at the moment because he's lost confidence and he desperately needs a goal. We all know that. Uh, however, I think it's fair to say most people would still rate him as a good player, someone definitely worth persevering with. Does that sound fair, lads? I'll say so. Yeah, right. So, moving on then. The reason that I bring up him and Josh Windass is I think football teams live or die by their recruitment. And here's the problem and why these two players, are, for me, are linked. Because they have to play because we don't have replacements. In the summer, we tried to get Jamie Walker, failed, had no plan B, ended up with no one. And that, that's meant that Josh Windass, when fit, has played pretty much more or less uh, all the time. Morelos... The p- person who would be in contention for his spot is Eduardo Herrera, who was clearly not trusted by Pedro and clearly isn't trusted by, by Graham Murty either. Um, and we literally have one striker who at the moment, although talented, is shit out of form. At any other club could do, we, we're going on at the bench for a few weeks uh, and then maybe being introduced when we're winning and getting that goal and getting getting his mojo back. And this is where... Poor recruitment is biting us on the arse. So, what do you reckon to that point, Andy? No, I think you're right. There's players playing in that team that, uh, in days gone by, they would have been rested or taken out the firing line. Uh, Morelis is a case in point. We're, we're so reliant on his goals this season that uh, we can't really afford to drop him. I, I suppose drop him is the wrong word, but we can't afford to put him on the bench and try somebody else. Herrera, I think, has been. I think he's been unlucky, right? Because every time he's been brought on, it's been a firefight situation. He's been brought on as a substitute and invariably he gets used as a target man, which he, at six foot two, he isn't a target man. He's one of the worst players in the air I've seen. Mm. He gets smaller when he jumps. But what he has shown is that he's got something in the box. If you get the ball to him at his feet, then he can link. But he also seems to get in the right positions in the box. We've seen that against Partey. We've seen it, uh, his cameo up at Dingwall as well. I don't know if he's answer right, and I know your Louis Mo will come into the conversation at some point, right? But when you see what he's doing at Motherwell, I don't think the only Rangers are, that are kicking themselves that they didn't actually take the punt of five hundred, seven hundred fifty thousand pound to recruit the guy. Because mm. if you compare him to the strikers we've got at our disposal, apart from Morelos, then uh, you're right. It comes back to personnel in the squad, uh, and I think it's wider than just. Um, Morelos and Windass. I think there's a number of players there that the realisation hit me on Saturday that you are not going to win things if you're relying on me, Jason Holt, Danny Wilson. Um, the bench is very, very poor. Uh, the squad players, I don't even know if they're going to do as squad players now. This is this is the kind of desperation states where Hodgson's another one. Should he even be at Rangers anymore? Mm. Uh, there is an issue with the overall standard of the squad, definitely, David. I think that's a great point and if you listen to this pod we've said in the last few weeks that, that Holt and Wilson uh, have been good and they deserve praise but this is unfortunately what always happens and again we go back to the point of whether or not you know, you're know you an optimistic supporter like myself or, or Andy would tend to be um, or maybe a more pessimistic supporter like Ian is uh, generally and uh, we'll come to him and he'll prove it in a minute and I, it's amazing to me that you said that because that was exactly the same realisation I had on Saturday where I'm thinking look it doesn't matter if, if 
Hull or Wilson or Hodgson have a good game or two good games, they will revert to the mean because that's their level. And it's unfair of me to expect them to play at that level. The way that Jason Holt played at Tynecastle is the exception. It's not the rule. And there's nothing in his time at Rangers to tell me that it is going to be the rule. So I'm wrong. And almost, Ian, I feel, am I being unfair on these guys by criticising them when the fact of the matter is is that's the level of ability that they have so yeah I'm a pessimistic cynic I'll freely admit it um, is that unfair no, no I don't think it is I mean take take. you started talking there about the signing policy in the summer this is where it starts to come back to bite is I'm a, a big believer and David we, we've talked about this in the pod in the past that you know we, we in the summer we bypassed our own backyard with proven players like Malt and Malt's a great example because he's written it up just now and we could have gotten for way less than we paid for reportedly paid for Herrera when Herrera was let's face it a punt from Mexico that had never played out of Mexico it doesn't take a fucking rocket scientist to say do you know what that might be a risk too far Maybe we go with the tried and tested. In terms of then the rest of the squad, you know, the, your, your Wilsons, your um, Hodgson's, Jesus, your um, Holtz, all the rest of it. You know, I, I, again, I'm a firm believer in you, you get the outcome that you deserve. And from a recruitment, a strength and depth point of view, we're getting the outcome that we deserve. We can't string three wins together, let alone five, six, seven, eight, nine wins together. We're at the level we're at because, frankly, that that is where we're at. And going beyond that, you know, you look at uh, Candace and social media got a bit of a rough ride at the weekend, and he's been he's probably been one of the better signings for us since the summer. But again, he's he's a he's been a journeyman throughout his career, and he's a winger. He's gonna be inconsistent. One of the stats I saw at the weekend, David, was we had fifty. Five zero plus crosses into the box, and we created practically nothing. Well, second half, and, first half. I mean, I yeah, yeah, it's certainly the second half. And watching the game, and I watched the rerun, and I, I started watching the second half for a third time. I was that much of a glutton for punishment. The amount of times, and it's a big frustration of mine, even when it's advocate years, the amount of times that the ball goes wide, we cross it, or we take a corner, and we hit the first man. It's absolutely fucking criminal. Controversial thought lobbed into the conversation time, Andy. With that amount of crosses going in, would it have been useful to have someone who arrives late into the box and can head the ball a la Carlos Pena? Yes, definitely. Uh, forget about the rumours, right? And what he's doing off the part, because see, to be honest, I'd think there would be more proof if there was something tangible to it, right? So let's just pretend for a second that that it's not true and that he's he's available for selection. Pena, when he played, was doing things that were useful to the team, right? Now, he might have been shit on the ball. He might have been getting caught in possession. He he couldn't tackle a fish supper. However, what he does give you is something which is expensive in football, which is a a striker in midfield. That's essentially what he is. He's got a striker's instinct, but he plays in midfield. And he's harder to mark because, as you say, David, he's at the edge of the box. 
Uh, he's making weight runs. He's just got that kind of sixth sense that he knows where to be when a ball's going in the box. So I would have thought, and I, I was hoping that he would have been on the bench on Saturday because we have got a poor bench most weeks. When we make substitutions, it doesn't make the, the team better. It doesn't allow us to chase games or, or increase pressure in our opposition. The likes of Pena is something that um, is hard for players, to, uh, opposition players to pick up when they come on as a sub. Does the centre-half go fall him into midfield? Does a midfielder drop and pick him up? Things like that can cause confusion, can create space, not just for Pena, but for other players. Um, so you're exactly right. There is that, uh, there is an argument that um, right, he might not be the best signing, he might never be a success at Rangers, but see if we've got him sitting in the house when he's fit. I'm not so sure that's the right thing. And I don't think that's me sitting saying he's a better player than he actually is because I know he's false, but there's one thing he can do and that's get on the end of the box, end of crosses in the box, late runs. Uh, yeah, and uh, I'm a great believer if you're paying somebody's wages, then uh, to banish them for any re- well, to, to banish them for any reasons that you can't find them those wages is a bit foolish because uh, you're still paying it, you're not getting any return. And watching the game back on the Sunday, Exact same, exact same sort of thing occurred to me where I'm, I'm thinking, you know, had he been there, all right, yes, we know in a game against Celtic he's going to get caught in the ball, he's he's not going to contribute in midfield the way we need him to, but against Hamilton when they've got a lot of their defenders in the box and they're trying just to hit in the break, we're firing in cross after cross after cross. I thought that having him to come off the bench might have been useful. Um. That leads us on to a couple of points that I think are interlinked. The first one is the weekly Kenny Miller section. And Ian, again, after Partick, I thought that Miller was was back to his worst Wayne Rooney-esque uh, chasing after the ball like a school kid performance where he was everywhere but where he should be. And I think that that increased the pressure on Morelos, who a lot of the times in the second half was trying to make near post runs up until he went off. Was trying to make near post runs, but was uh, had two men on him because Hamilton felt they didn't need to have a man on Miller on those occasions. And I wonder if Graham Murty is capable of making him stick to the role at which he is good at, which is playing either up front or just off the main striker. And that also ties into the substitutions where Graham Murray did take Kenny Miller off and, and credit for that. Um, you could suggest he waited too long uh, and I think that it's been a, a thing of, of Graham Murray's spell that if it's not been going well, he's not great with substitutions. Uh, he waited too long to make the changes. When he did, they were like for likes rather than doing anything tactical and bringing on a, a kid on loan who to be honest, doesn't look physically capable of being a first-team player for two minutes at 2-0 down struck me as ludicrous. It's our post-Harps match aside. It's our weekly debate about quarterback Kenny. David, um, I happen to think, uh, you know, we talked about this a few weeks ago, Pedro was right to drop him. The banishment stuff was laughable mismanagement, as it maybe is with Peña at the minute. But performance-wise, he wasn't cutting it. Hearts, he came back, he was superb. It was almost, I've got a point to prove. The last two games, especially Saturday, it's not comparing the skill levels. It's Wayne Rooney, you're right, in his late Manchester United days, basically throwing 
positional caution to the wind and doing whatever the hell he wants to try and make things happen. And with that, we lose shape, momentum, focus and discipline. He's 37. For me, it's simple. He's got a great wealth of experience and he's a great asset if he's used in the right manner and if he's forced to be used in that right manner. If not, he's a liability and he may as well move. Andy? Yeah, I, I was gushing about Mother after the Hearts game. I think everybody was. Yeah, but yeah. I think there, there was a wee bit of a combination of the bounce, a, a new manager, a new temporary manager, and the fact that he had a major point to prove in front of the, the country's TV. Um, but it, it really, it was it was very poor on Saturday. And I think there was a wider issue on Saturday. The second half in particular, our entire midfield was, was dysfunctional. And one of the things that I get really annoyed at was that the second goal that we lost, right? I know we're chasing the game and uh, we're, we're trying to push forward. How can you lose a goal like that on a counter for a big punt out of their open box when you've got essentially two defensive midfielders in Jack and Holt, right? Jack was the one that was out in the right wing firing in a big looping hopeful cross that gets swallowed up by the centre-half for the umpteenth time that game. The ball flop breaks into the middle of the park Jack's sauntering back because he's so far out of position there's no point in him actually running and then you're then isolated with two strikers on two centre-halves basically and, and Jason Holt chasing them. So th- this is something that I think is a pro- it's personnel first of all. We're asking players in our team to do things they're not capable of. Mm. Ryan Jack is a defensive midfielder and that's a great defensive midfielder, looks very tidy but if you start asking him to do what Barry Ferguson used to do which is drive on, create things get in and around the box, beat players at the edge of the box, shoot. It's not going to happen. He's no good at it in his, in his locker. And that's not the boys' fault because that's not why we brought the Rangers. So there is a wider issue here that, first of all, personnel, we don't have the players. Secondly, we're not using them in the correct manner because if you're telling me that Cranchard's on the bench, you're telling me he's fat. So why is he not playing? Mm. Right? Because if he's not fat enough to come off that bench and do something in that game, I really need to question the manager or his selection or his bench. No, I, I agree, and there's so many things. So I apologise to people for a, a little bit jumping all over the place here, but um, there, there are just so many points that are, that are coming up. One of that was um, you mentioned Barry there. I think Kenny's doing what Barry did and got criticised for, which you know, my ball Barry, as as people called it. Um, but the thing about Ferguson was that at one point he was the complete midfielder. And he was. I mean, he, yeah. he could do everything. Uh, and okay, in his later days, his star has faded, as it happens to everyone. But you could understand when you saw him running about when we were losing, trying to make something happen, trying to do everything, you could understand it. Kenny Miller has never had that ability. He's very good at one specific thing or one specific place in the side. He, he doesn't have that complete all-round game. And for him to suddenly, at 37, think he has the, the ability to do that staggers me. And more importantly, the fact that no one has tried to disabuse him of this notion staggers me even further. Now, the other main point coming out of that is lack of leadership, I thought, on Saturday, where everyone basically deferred to Miller. Now, we didn't have Bruno Alves. And contrary to uh, what, what ran in the sun and then was corrected, it wasn't because he refused to sit on the bench. 
Now, whether or not it was a case of he knew the team wasn't going to be changed and he then said, well, I've got a back injury, I don't know. But he definitely he had let Marty know beforehand that uh, he wasn't fit and he was left off the bench. There's no problem. He's training. He went to a Rangers charity function on Saturday night, although, uh, according to reports, he wore trainers at a black tie event, but, you know, he can't have everything. Um, and we've already learned this season how eccentric Portuguese people can be. I think it's fair to say. But... I just felt that we completely lacked leaders and I was disappointed because so many of them deferred to Kenny and, I, and the ones I'm going to pick out, without Alves and Dorans, we obviously lack leadership, it's so apparent, you can see that, but on Saturday, Ryan Jack's been a captain of an SPFL side for a number of years, Ryan Jack should be taking that responsibility, Danny Wilson was a captain of Hearts, he's playing with a youngster who's made a mistake, Danny Wilson should be taking that responsibility, James Tavernier's been here for two and a bit years now, he's a senior pro in that squad, James Tavernier should be taking that responsibility, none of them did, none of them do, and I found that very disappointing Ian. <laughs> I'm sighing, David, because I don't disagree with any of it. You know, you look at Danny Wilson as the example. Uh, he's back in that side. He's strolling about at the back as if he's never been away until push comes to shove. And then th- th- there's, you know, he's got a young kid playing alongside him. And granted, McCrory's mistake was fucking hideous. Right? He's not got away from it. He's a young guy, but that was a 12-year-old's error. Uh, however, he stood up and he got on with it. That was fine. Wilson's job was then to walk him through the next 25 minutes, half an hour. Walk him through it as a... And again, I, 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 I'm not for a second comparing ability. But you read you, you read about Graham Souness on the park, especially in his Liverpool and his Scotland days. And Jock Steen would talk about... Um, if someone made an error, as soon as the ball's back in play, the first person by his side is Graham Souness, playing a simple three-yard pass, taking it back again, playing it back to him again, up in his confidence. That's leadership. Ian, that's, Danny that, Wilson that, is Ian, Danny Wilson is 26, and still you hear people say, oh, he would do well if he had a big dominant centre, i.e. Davy Weir, if he had his dad next to him. And he's 26 David, now. David... Danny Wilson is not getting better, either mature-wise or ability-wise. So, you know, Ross McCrory's doing that. He needed a guy alongside him. Danny Wilson isn't it. Simple, from a leadership point of view. The only leader Rangers had on that park was Kenny Miller, and Kenny Miller decided that he was going to be a fucking quarterback for the day. Andy... Should I mean we're Monday quarterbacking here? We're Monday morning quarterbacking here. I know, but still, if Bruno Alves was fit, and we have to understand it possibly was not, but should there have been rather than where we won last week, we're just going with the same team anyway. Bruno, take your time. Should we have been doing that, or should we be thinking here? Hang on a minute. This is Bruno Alves, you know, Portuguese legend. Okay, maybe hasn't been in the best of form this season, but still, we've got him here. We're paying him a healthy wage. You need to get fit and get into that side because you're the you you are a first name on the team sheet. Or instead, I think it was more a case of well, we're just going to go with the, the lads done great last week. We're just going to go. And was that an error? Nah, it was definitely an error. It's very laudable for any manager to say you you played well last week, son. I'm going to keep you in. That's fine. And 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 
In theory, that's a, a very good thing, very nice thing, but it's not the way we should be working. Bruno Alves is fit, he plays. It's as simple as that, because um, we're talking about leaders. You can only be a leader on a football park if you're able to look after your own game first. And we've got too many players on your team there that can't even look after their own game. Never mind, pick up somebody else's slack. Um, and again, it gets back to ability, confidence, all these kind of things. I, I said a couple of weeks ago, now this might be controversial, and I'm going to qualify for the for listeners, right? I thought McCrory played extremely well on Saturday, apart from his mistake, right? And I thought he, he played extremely well after his mistake, which is actually a bigger measure of the lad. Mm. He still does a couple of things that is only natural for a young centre-half. He dives into tackles when he's trying to recover, uh, which could pull him into trouble against better opposition. Um, but his positioning, his pace, getting and using his body, it was great, right? So I'm not saying the boy isn't worthy of his place in the team, but I don't think he should be playing this Saturday. And the reason I don't think he should be playing this Saturday is because a couple of weeks ago, I said that uh, when he first broke into the team and we were raving about him, rightly so, I said, great, uh, fantastic prospect. It looks as if he's got everything that he needs to, to progress in the game. But what I don't want to see is our young players like that uh, burned. Uh, and by Bond, I mean playing a weekend week out where we're actually relying too much on them. And I don't care what anybody says, if you're a centre-half playing for Rangers against anybody, there's a lot sitting in your shoulders there. Mm. So I would have preferred to have seen... Um, if Cardoso was fit, I would like to see Cardoso play. Right? The boy is... is uh, him and Alves are our best centre-halves. Without creation, in my mind. I think they complement each other. There's a wee bit of pace with Cardozo. He can use the ball. He's still getting to grips with the aerial aggression side of Scottish football. Um, but I think Murty was just a touch too loyal, particularly to Wilson. Wilson is... Uh, I'm trying to be kind here, but he's not going to be what we need. If you've no. got an archetypal centre-half, the first things you tick off are strength, head and ability, um, and leadership. And I think he's lacking all three. Uh, and he's no progress for his days when he was playing alongside David Weir. No, absolutely. And and I agree with you. I think you pick the team on ability, really, uh, as often as you can. Unless someone is going through a really awful spell of form, you pick the team on ability. And it, it's clear how much we missed Alves and Doran's sheer presence on Saturday. Um, although, you know, the argument can be we hadn't won three games in a row with them in the team either. So it does go both ways, and I, I do understand that. But... Uh, fellow podder Alex said on the preview show that the we were discussing the growing might as well just give it to Marty to the end of the season bandwagon and Alex's point, um, which I thought was a, a very good one, was one defeat will end up and I think it did <laughs> and uh, I think that you saw on Saturday it's almost like we need a fucking manager uh, and a proper one. However, we're getting the noises, and we can only go on this, that the noises coming out of Rangers, and these are the noises which are coming out of Rangers, incidentally. These are not things that the media are making up, is that there's still no rush, that the board will not be uh, moved by one result and will not start to uh, you know, change their plan. I'm questioning whether or not there is a plan because I've seen nothing to indicate that there is and even if there is it's hard to have a lot of faith because the last time we were in this situation Ian we ended up with Pedro so surely the board have to now react not panic and get an appointment but they promise transparency 
And if they think Marty's fine till X, they should say that. And if not, and they don't have any clue of what they're doing at the moment, it's a huge, huge panic. Because if you see from Ranger Social, I feel so sorry for the Ranger Social Media guys at the moment because they're putting out stuff, you know, they'll say, oh, the Burn Supper's coming up and they're just getting savaged. And it's because punters don't want to hear this. Punters don't want to hear anything from the club at the moment apart from here's our new manager. And they don't seem to grasp the level of anger, at, which is just going to grow with every poor result. If Rangers don't win on Friday night at Dundee, the mood is going to be murderous. Don't disagree with any of that, David. Uh, you know, today's the 21st of November. It's 26 days since Pedro Cachinho left. Now, for me, in... I, I will probably come on to the people who are actually selecting the manager. But the trigger was pulled on Pedro Cuxinha and the people that we have on as directors, non-executive directors and all the rest of it, they're all very successful businessmen. And in any business, you've got a plan A, you've got a plan B, and you've probably got plans C, D, E and F. And it's quite clear we sacked Pedro with no plan B. So for me, this is, we're 26 days later, and we as a support who have ploughed millions in, and for the listener, you know, I'm going to qualify this by saying, you've got to almost give the board the disclaimer of we are eternally grateful for what happened in 2015, right? We are, of course, but there's got to be a time that we that we look up look look above the parapet from that and say we're twenty eight we're twenty six days on that's almost four weeks and just about two of those weeks were an international break when a new manager could have had the vast majority of his squad working on ideas bedding himself in all the rest of it the the the, the anger is. What, I'd say the anger's palpable, to be honest, David. It's growing. It's going to get worse. And the, the, the overarching feeling of we're almost four weeks in and this is on the board with no succession planning, that's, that's increasing. It's becoming a joke. I tweeted the other night that, again, big believer, big believer whatever walk of life it is, leaders lead from the front. And our board are fucking hiding just now. They can't go into the AGM, Andy, with uh, because even if they have a new manager in place, they're going to get bollocked, and I think they'll be surprised by the level of it from the fans about the whole Kashinia. I think questions are going to be asked very loudly and very directly at the AGM about the whole Kashinia thing, but surely they can't believe for a second that they can go in with this sort of hinterland at the moment of Graham Murray and we're kind of looking and, you know, we'll get there when we get there. Surely they're not that naive. No, I don't think they will be, but the, the, the problem here is it did they need to be like this. And what really worries me is that the the Rangers supporters relationship with this board is probably the most key thing to how our future careers years pan out. If we don't understand what they're doing, if we don't understand the problems that they're facing, uh, and we don't give them a wee bit of forgiveness, then we've got a problem because there's two sides to it. There's a football side and rebuilding a football side, right? That's obvious. We've also got the rebuilding of the, the club as an entity, as a business, as a as a financial uh, powerhouse as it used to be in Scottish football. 
the two things do go hand in hand. Um, but if it was easy to build a football side, then every club would be successful, right? Mm. Anybody can appoint a manager, and it goes wrong. So I do, I do have a degree of sympathy for uh, the Kashinia thing because it went wrong and it went wrong badly. But I can understand why they appointed the guy. I think if, if Kashinia was on the, the Apprentice, they'd only need one episode because he'd have Alan Sugar appoint him in the first episode. That's how smooth he was. <laughs> and but the, but the other side of it is the football side. Of it, uh, sorry, the, the financial side. Of it. I read through the accounts, and I'm, I'm fortunate that I, 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 I'm not an accountant, but I can understand books. I can understand profit and loss and everything else. So I did read through that. That is the most transparent set of accounts I've ever seen for a football club. And I don't think there was much missing in it from a, 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 a fan's point of view, if you wanted to read through it. That was for a reason. That was the transparency they're talking about. But we still need King, Park, Bennett, everybody that's on that board to keep us going. And that's a, a fact of life just now. And there might be there might be people listening just now disagreeing with me. That's a fact. We need them just now from a financial point of view. The deal with the devil is though that if they're writing the checks, we have to give them defer uh, defer to them in terms of having a wee bit of say in the in the running the club. And where I think it's went wrong, David, is we've got uh, Robertson as a chief exec or a managing director. I think his title is. He is basically uh, steering the ship. But he's got Dave King sitting in the back seat telling him what to do, right? Mm. And I don't think the connection between the two is strong enough because I don't think we've got, uh, I don't think Robertson's got authority to do what he needs to do as per Lawwell does at Celtic. Celtic uh, give Lawwell total autonomy. Robertson doesn't have that. The reason for that is King's writing the checks. We understand that. So I think from a supporter's point of view, we need to understand that. But it's easier said than done. The man in the street doesn't get all that, and that's perfectly acceptable to me. I will understand it because I'm in the industry and I know that kind of uh, intricacy of, of the pressures of, of uh, running a business like this. Well, okay. So I think we need to be careful we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to the board. Oh, I agree with you, but the counterpoint to that is, OK, and it's great and you're right uh, about the accounts that they've put out and just said here, and honestly, is everything that's going on and, and correct. So why then... And an arguably more important area in terms of relationship with the fans. I'm not saying a more important area, incidentally. There's nothing more important at a football club than finances. We are a, a walking example of that, right? But in this crucial area, in terms of the relationship between the board and the supporters, why have they allowed a vacuum to develop? Because in 2017... There's no such thing as a vacuum. The old days, you bought your paper, you bought your morning paper, you could get an evening times at night, you spoke to your mate in the pub, and that was it. Maybe a phone-in, whatever. In 2017, if there is a vacuum, people will fill it. And that's exactly what has happened with the amount of names that have been chucked about. There's been people who have been appointed, sacked, crucified, all in the space of time, and we don't even know if they've been approached yet. Why are they allowing this particularly crucial area and I understand they can't on a daily basis say, well, you know, we've approached this guy and we want to appoint him, but he's taking his time. But such has been the lack of clarity coming out of the club and use of the media has been poor because that they have this relationship, uh, particularly with, with Jim Trainer, that's it's so aggressive, 
pretty much against all members of the press, that instead of being able to control the narrative and, and drip feed out, this is what we're doing, this is where we're going, I think that they're proud that the media don't have a clue what's going on. And Jim Trainer's statement, uh, Razor's statement, but Jim Trainer's statement a couple of weeks ago, which basically said, hi, user are all speculating, but we haven't done anything, so all your speculation has been bollocks. I think that kind of thing is, you know, great. We all hate the media too. We understand it. But in not using that, and, and not using the official club channels either to do that, that you've not controlled the narrative. And what's happened is the narrative has ran away. And now the narrative is they don't have a clue what they're doing. They, 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 they're wasting time. They, they, they're torn by indecision. And that's the situation that we find ourselves in at the moment because I don't feel that they have in any way shaped from day one, this is where we're going or, you know, this is the thought. Po-. So nobody really knows what's going on. And they're taking pride in that, I think, as opposed to, to realising that, OK, the, the media don't know what's going on. Great, well done. But neither do we. And <clears throat> when we're losing 2-0 at home to Hamilton Ackies, we're not going to think there's a masterstroke coming because they used up that credit with the Kashinia appointment, unfortunately. And that's why they don't get the benefit of the doubt this time that they did get when they took their time the last time. I think, to be honest, David, you know, you talk about uh, Stuart Robertson, talk about uh, Trainer and his role of whatever the fuck it is, pseudo head of PR or comms. It's, or it's, not su- it's not pseudo, he does the PR and the comms. It's yeah. as simple as that. So, so, for me, if you're not controlling the narrative as a huge institution as Rangers are, if you're not managing to control that narrative within a small country, then that's a dereliction of duty for me. And that's, trainer is guilty as charged. He's got to be, because we're all sitting here and it's fucking open season again. When it comes to Stuart Robertson, he's a managing director, I think, um, and Andy, you talked about Lowell. Lowell across the city, I mean, he's way more paid, he's probably, I think he's title CEO, but he's Desmond's man on the ground. Much the same way as Robertson's, Robertson's Dave King's man on the ground, only he's either not trusted or he's not as talented or he's not whatever. At the end of the day, you know, he, he, he was the finance guy at Motherwell. Mm. I do, we're, we're almost back to you get the outcome you deserve from the appointments that you make. You know, and, and we've, we've appointed a guy, a chartered accountant, as an, as an MD of the biggest organisation he's ever worked for, uh, and I get they work for Price Waterhouse Coopers. I know that, but from a, a in a footballing sense, Rangers the biggest with their biggest role, and Trainer the biggest institution he's ever worked for, um, in in the that their top role and can't control the narrative. You know, we we are back to playing or non-playing. We're fucking seeing it playing out in front of our eyes, and almost you know we as supporters aren't getting what we deserve. But from a an appointments point of view, why would why on earth would we expect anything else? Andy, your thoughts? Uh, first of all, in the PR, um, trainer's been a disaster, right? I, I, I've used the word or the phrase a body of evidence a couple of times, and we've now got a body of evidence. So since he's been at Rangers, is there anything went right? The fact that we are still 
uh, at loggerheads with BBC Scotland for whatever reason, and it hasn't been resolved, even partially to our benefit, is a joke and a disgrace. Because how the hell can you control a narrative in a wee country like this if you've got the biggest broadcaster basically ignoring you? And that's listening to BBC Scotland will know what I mean. You wouldn't know he existed. Um, but back to Robertson, I think you're right, Ian. He is, he is Dave King's man. I think he's the kind of man he needs right now because the books are all right. right? I'm not going to bore everybody to death with the books. I think the books are where they should be for where we are in terms of recovery, right? So that means that Robertson's doing that side of his job correctly and his team. Where he's fallen down is, we talk about football administration, that's fallen down because, I said in a previous pod, if nobody was thinking about even the, the, the merest possibility of needing a new manager after Niedercorn at some point in the next six months, if they're not thinking about that or even make provision for it, my God, <laughs> it's beyond belief if that's the case. So to, that, that's where they've put ourselves under pressure. And that's why I mean it didn't need to be like this because they've left ourselves wide open that when it came to that point in time when Kishina's time was up, there wasn't a, there wasn't a defined uh, solution ready to go off the shelf. They look as if they've just started that morning after they've stacked them, mm. which beggars belief, really. So, uh, Andy, see I, the point about Robertson sorry, there? Sorry, you go, Dave. No, no, so the reason, I'm sorry to come, but the, you've just there made a better case for the board to more people for free than, than Rangers PR have done in the last month. That's a fact. You've just made, you've just sat there and made a better case saying that the board... So why is Robertson allowing or accepting a PR wing of the club that is allowing him to be painted in the, the, the kind of situation that he is, is as people think, oh, he's, he's basically a wee boy that doesn't Some, know what he's doing. Somebody must trust trainer. Somebody, somebody must, must that, that, that's, what that, that's what I'm saying. That, that he's, if, if, if you're, you've just sat there and I'm sitting going, that's a good point, and, and I know you well and, and I trust you, I'm thinking if Andy says that, then it's probably true. But you've just made a more passionate and stronger case about how the board are doing in, in one very important aspect to more people than Rangers have. That for me is a massive failure because I think that at that top level at Rangers, the trainer's more interested in his wee personal battle with the people he doesn't mm-hmm. like than he is about yeah. actually going out. And more importantly, in modern, and again, it's 2017, why is a, a, a 50-year newspaperman your best choice to do PR? Which is a completely different thing in a completely different industry these days. It's just retrograde thinking and we are paying the price for it and the fact that the fans are so angry against a board who to be honest the fans want to really really like I think is endemic of terrible terrible communication and were it me I would be hauling in whoever was I would take it in house for a kick off but I would be hauling whoever was doing it over the coals on a daily basis and saying, this is the message I want out, you're not putting it out there. And we'd accept it, back to Ian's point, if you accept this stuff, then you're going to get the same results and and, and that's what's happening. And yeah, I just, uh, I don't blame fans for being angry, I don't blame fans for thinking that, you know, we're in the dark. And the board, I'm sure, will come along and see, I, I think Dave King is cut from the same cloth as David Murray in terms of that although he's he's a little bit better with the fans, he still sees it very much as we run the club, you pay your money and turn up and support. 
and there are other voices in the board who don't agree with that but that's what King is from you know that, that that's his idea of, of football club ownership chairmanship whatever right the difference as we've spoken about before is that you know he doesn't have the love me love me attitude that David Murray had but they have to understand that the Rangers support having been through so much in the last five years doesn't have the infinite patience that it maybe had 10 years ago and they're in desperate, desperate, desperate trouble of losing people who I think at heart want to believe in them. And it's over silly matters like this, silly appoint a manager, but straightforward matters like this that are not, you know, that are run-of-the-mill decisions that happen almost every day in football where managers are hired and fired. And I'm very disappointed. And I personally, if it was me, would be absolutely apoplectic with the people if they have... A message. That's the thing, right? If they have a joined-up message, which we like to believe that they have, the fact that it's not getting out there, well, who do you blame? You blame your PR people, but we don't. And we allow this to continue, and we allow this this kind of, as I say, this battle between people, of which we are merely a, a bystander, and almost like a funder, you know, rather, you know, we put the funds in to allow one half of it to do it, but we don't seem to get much out of it. And I, I think that the anger among the support is growing, I agree with Ian there, I think it's palpable, and we're in a situation where a couple more bad results is really going to set it off. David, I'll ask you a question, do you think trainer attracts more antagonism than he does benefit the other way back? Oh God, yeah, and I think he wants to, I think he enjoys it. Um, you know, you He's not beloved, <laughs> I mean, among the PR, uh, among the, the press, which is, you know, like we all can't stand the press. You know, we're Rangers fans, it's, it's, it's understandable. But I, I think Trainer, like, Trainer's not a talentless guy. It would be, anyone telling you that is an idea, right? Jim Trainer's a very talented guy. But he's also an older guy, he's set in his ways. And what he's doing at the moment is, at Piers anyway, is settling scores with people he doesn't like from his years in the industry, the, the constant running battles between him and Jackson, for example. And he's doing it on our dime, uh, which he can do because it's his business. You know, at the end of the day, he's a subcontractor. He doesn't work for Rangers. Um, a subcontractor or, if you like, uh, an agency should be... You, you've worked with them. They should be easier to control. The second they do something wrong, you haul them in and threaten to, to, to pull the business, but we never do. So, you know... It, <laughs> I don't blame Jim Trainer because that's what he wants to do and we're allowing him to do it. You should never have a situation where a client leads a business. The business should tell the, the, the agency what they want and then they should measure it to see if it's being delivered. And the fact we're even talking about this and the fact that a lot of Rangers supporters incidentally are talking about this. This is not something that's, you know, deep undercover. A lot of Rangers fans look at this and are aware of Trainer and aware of the job that he does, I think shows you the failure. Yeah, I agree. You know, it, it, it really is in a situation where we, do, we we just can't go on with it and somebody's going to have to make a decision. And again, the AGM's coming up and I think it's going to come up and the board would do well to pay attention to it because people's patience isn't infinite. We we always do. I, I'm a huge one for it. We need to remember March 2015 what that board did for us. And I will never, ever forget it. But... You know, they can't live off that forever. They can't live off not being Mike Ashley forever. And we are now, and I think it's it's such a shame because, okay, they're not in the honeymoon period, but they could still be in a period where, you know, trust hasn't been hasn't been broken, and they're in danger of that happening through 
silly mistakes such as no communication strategy um, or if there is one a very very faulty and badly aimed one through indecision or appearing to look indecisive which may be tied into the last point and I think when every man and their dog in a stadium can see the desperate need for a manager and you've taken 26 days after having a manager that the vast majority of that that stadia was aware was on the brink it goes back to Ian's point why was there no plan B and it's things like this these little silly mistakes that are piling up and piling up and when they break the camel's back all hell will break loose that, that's my concern and also back of that David you know just to to kind of close out the, the, the whole comms PR but an establishment like Rangers has gone through exactly what we've all collectively gone through. We've appointed trainer and trainer's company as a, an external consultant to do the PR and comms work on our behalf. He's antagonised every fucking journalist in the country and basically painted a target on his back and our back to settle all scores and all the rest of it. And more importantly for me, at the same time, hasn't valued a customer base and I use customer in the not in the old David Murray Martin Benway <laughs> in, 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 in our Rangers customer fan base not taking us on that journey that that's honestly see from a PR and comms point of view that's 101 stuff mm. and I get he is a super talented guy but he's monumentally fucked this up and he needs to go. No, because... He's failed, he's failed, he's failed to uh, harness the collective resilience that we've shown in the last six years. Yes. And, that, and that's uh, unforgivable. No, and I can't it's, turn spot it, on. it's too late. Spot on. And, and again, the, he's allowed on his watch a gap to because he's not in touch with what the fans think. And again, that's something, that's the first thing I would do. And I would say customers, you know, I know people get upset about it, but... Rangers are a business at the end of the day and, and you know, having worked in that industry myself and, and not claiming to be an expert, but, but it's so straightforward the first thing you do is you identify your customers, you identify the message that you want to get to them and you relentlessly hit it and you measure it constantly Rangers don't do any of that and you see at the moment the results of that where like I say, if you just want a visual representation to it, go and read the replies to anything that the official Rangers accounts are posting on social media because that's your instant feedback. It's such a great tool if you work in marketing because you can see instantly what your customers think of you. And when you can't talk about anything because your customers don't want to hear it because there's a huge situation that needs to be addressed, that's a failure of leadership and it's a failure of communication. So uh, it's where we are, unfortunately. Now, again, don't don't really want to to kind of uh, you know, spend too long in this, but uh, there was some talk again about the Ibrox atmosphere that there is certainly a discrepancy between the home form and the away form, and the atmosphere at Ibrox, for all the reasons we've just spent an hour talking about, incidentally, uh, is not great. At the moment, I, I, it's easy to say, you know, the players are professional and it shouldn't be affecting them, but they do seem to react better to the back and they get 
from away fans, which tends to be, uh, if you like, louder. And, and just, you know, every club's away support tends to be, in inverted commas, better. Um, because most home fans, especially big clubs, do tend to be that bit quieter. But, Andy, is this becoming uh, an issue? Is it actually something that, that's hurting the team? It's, it's definitely noticeable. And Saturday, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm the one that's sitting with a loudspeaker telling everybody to sing, right? I'm not. Mm. I sit at the back of the oven. Uh, but there was a noticeable uh, kind of turn when maybe daft things like players misplaced in a pass or something doesn't come off them. There just seems to be a bit of a, a lack of goodwill just now. But it comes to the fact that we're in the second half and we're still drawing on each of a hammer on the home. Mm. And uh, I don't think there's ever been a time at Ibrooks when it's never been the case that that will happen but it just feels as if as a crowd we should be showing a wee bit more I put it, emotional intelligence that this team needs a wee bit more care and attention than than some of the teams we've had in the past that could uh, raise their game so the crowd does have a role to play you're right in point out David that the crowd at home is a bit touchy and it's no it's no help the team that's a definite it's no help some of the individual players. I mean, we're talking about Windass earlier, we're talking about Hodgson earlier. Right, they might not be Rangers players for long term. They might not be good enough. We can all agree on that. That doesn't mean we need to um, make things harder for them than they need to be. No, absolutely. And Ian, I, I wonder if it's a bit of a chicken-egg situation. I really do in terms of... See, I am a great believer and you pay your money, you can go and, so long as you don't punch people, behave pretty much any way you want. And I think that the supporters, especially our supporters, are still injecting money into the club after everything. I'm loath to criticise. It's just that, and I, you know, I mean, you can see it affecting the players. Uh, but is it a case of, well, David, you've just sat and listed for an hour the reasons why the crowd are upset, and then you're saying well, they're upset and that's affecting the team. Is it chicken egg here? Do we need the team to go, right, lads, at the end of the day, we're all pulling down a lot of money and whether or not it's right or whether or not we feel that they should be singing and getting behind us every moment, we have to accept that that's the way the crowd is, this is the way the cookie has crumbled and we need to get them on side by our performances. Or is it not as simple as that? simple outlook in life David you know that it's a two-way street key two key questions first one is is there a psychological issue with the players eyebrows undoubtedly yes the stats don't lie we've played seven home games and we haven't won five of them four of them were against Hibs Harps Kilmarnock and, and Hamilton mm. you know so psychologically we're back to we talked about it under Warburton as well you know we talked about it under McCall we talked about it under McCoyst shirts a bit too heavy for some of them, quite quite, quite clearly. Second key question is the flip side. Are our home support not supportive enough? And I would say, from Saturday, and again, you can hear it increasing as the season goes on, that we've got a fair share of moaning and whinging bastards, let's face it, right? You're one of them. A fair share. I, yeah. Do you know what? That's generally only outside the ground. In the ground... I like going to cuddle Broxy. So, but we can all we, we can all argue that folk pay their money and yada yada, fine, fine. But effectively, what happens is you pay your money, you get the things back, you ensure the current crop hide, knowing fine well they feel the shirts too he- too heavy. They regress, doesn't hurt the outcome, and again we've got this this perpetual downward spiral again. But 
the players have to be stronger. Doesn't matter what what role you've got in life. Doesn't matter what job you do. You're going to get a bit of abuse. You're going to get uh, bad news. You're going to get shit in your life. And we seem to just get crop after crop of players that turn into fucking Nicky Law. It's like I say, it's a debate that that can rage on, but it's one of these ones where I think it's interesting to talk about, and I think people will have their different viewpoints. And they, you know, I'm not saying who are, who are right and who are wrong because I can see merit in both points. Certainly, we've all heard the Ibrox guys, you know, who who sit there basically waiting for the players to make a mistake. Um, we've all seen that, but it's not going to change. So I kind of think, in a way. Andy, the debate is almost academic because, yes, we can all say, I wish everybody would go in and sing and I wish, you know, at the next home game that Ibrox was rocking and I wish that if the players made a mistake, nobody bothered. Or we can say, oh, well, I don't, I don't agree the players, you know, have to raise, you know, their game and you have to develop a thick skin. The fact is, we all know what the atmosphere at the next game is going to be like and the game after that and the game after that it isn't going to change. No, I mean, we need to be careful. All football supporters are less. All football supporters are emotional and, and uh, have their fair share of grumbles and, and turn on certain players or managers, whatever it happens. Um, we've got to remember that, I mean, that was another sellout on Saturday mm. for how many times this season. There's barely been a game at home this season that hasn't been close to sellout, so we've got to take that into consideration. Um, but I think... You mentioned it there, David. It's an accumulative effect that it's not just about what's happening on the park that day. It's about everything. Mm-hmm. It's about the sense of that we've, we've just stalled as a club. We can't get this manager in. That there's nothing really to look at and say. Well, that's on the horizon. There's there's just a wee sense of crisis. Is this another false dawn? We're how many games into the season and we're fell behind. Celtic so far, we're, we're clinging on to Aberdeen by the skin of our teeth, these kind of things. It just adds that wee bit of pressure to every single pass on that park. And it's very, very unlikely that uh, any football supporter is going to rationalise or sit on that moment and say, don't grumble at that pass. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just not going to happen. No. So, that's the reality. Um, that, that is, that's the reality. Yeah. No, you're, you're totally so, correct. So we've got to remember that it's an emotional game that the Rangers fans. We, we are fantastic to support a club and putting our money where our mouth is like, like nobody else but maybe we just need to it sometimes and maybe that's just what this kind of pods for it's to, to take a step back and kind of self-analyse and say well do you know what maybe we can kind of check ourselves at that a wee bit and, and help the team yeah because away from home it's totally different I, I think that the away fans just go with a different mentality but I think as you said earlier that that's every club in the UK, in fact, every club in the world, and I think most people. But I did always find that interesting because um, I thought for years, well, you know, the professional footballers, and you know, we we like to imagine that the crowd as a twelfth man is is important. But if that was the case, then clubs from Turkey and Greece would win everything. Um, but then when we had Kevin Thompson on earlier in the season, he said no, he really, really appreciated, especially the away support and the noise they made in away grounds and almost taking over away grounds, and it gave them such a boost. And I thought, well, there you go then. And and especially with a group that he played, he was and played with a group of characters that I think it's not controversial to say were far mentally stronger than many of the players that are currently in this squad. So, you know, the fact that they were able to cope and they got their fair share, <laughs> incidentally, um, at Ibrox. But, 
you know, the reality of the situation, but that's what it is. Well, we're beginning to run uh, a little bit long and we could be here all night. So uh, at that point, I'll wrap things up. A few things to go through just to say we'll be back on Thursday with our preview show. Uh, we're at uh, Dundee on Friday night. So uh, we'll have a preview show of that set up. And also just to tell you that there will be another YouTube exclusive, Scott's Scott's Thoughts, which is not easy for me to say. I'll need to get him to come up with something that, that, that rhymes easier. Um, wanker's Banker or something like that uh, for me to for me to discuss. So hit the YouTube channel tomorrow night uh, and you will find that. That's on the Wednesday evening. It'll be, it'll be up there. It's a solo one, so I'm going to have to vet it first, just, just in case. Because can you imagine Scott being left alone with a microphone? Uh, it concerns me. But it'll be there for it's his Copa Libertadores preview for those of you who fancy yourselves as football students um, it'll be there for you to listen to and uh, with that I'll thank our executive producer in London Mr Mike Lee and Mr Paul Miles and I'll thank my two guests today for a, a very engaging but very tough but I enjoyed it, uh, the discussion so first of all thanks to Ian Hogg uh, Thank you David and a quick plea uh, to the Ibrooks Selection Committee get your finger out your fucking arse please <laughs> to Andy McGowan Always a pleasure to talk about the Rangers, David. So thank you. Yeah, no, see, crowd pleaser there, and that's how you win them. That's why he's become so popular in such a short space of time. <laughs> it was I'll a quick one. That uh, he know he knows how to work an audience. And uh, just a wee thing from me before I go, as uh, as I'm sure some of you know, but many of you will not. I've been uh, selected and very pleased about this to be a convention partner at NASA next year in Calgary. Please come along and see us. It'll be a live pod and various other things, and it'll be really the only chance that you'll ever get to come and see me when I'm in a good mood so if you want to do that go to the NASA website just put NASA into your Google machine and up it will pop my name's David Edgar thank you very much for listening we'll talk to you again on Friday bye Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.